for the benefit of everybody, I, I just figured I'd start and provide a little bit of background uh, about me and kind of who I am. Um, uh, my name's Tim Kittredge, and I've been a member of RUMC since 2000. Uh, in that year, I also joined um, uh, the Foundation Sunday School class. Many of you represented here today. Appreciate you coming out. Um, my wonderful wife, uh, Tara, and I have three young children. We have Lexi, who's 10, Nate, who's 8, and Ellison, who is 4. Uh, we live in Milton, Georgia, and our kids go to Kings Ridge Christian School, where we're very involved. I've spent my entire career with a company called Unum. I'm in the insurance business. I sell employee benefits for a living. And um, I've been in the Atlanta office working for them for the last 19 years. Uh, our family is, and, and you know, you don't always get an opportunity to talk to the church. And if there's one thing I want to leave with you today, I just cannot tell you how much our, our family appreciates this church. Thank you. Um, because of that, and, and because of our love for the church, um, I've had the privilege of serving in a number of, of, of roles over the years, um, you, you, um, and I'm grateful to most recently been involved with uh, the reintroduction of the REMC Men's Group Breakfast this year, and I want to take this opportunity to thank Tom uh, for his leadership, and for all those who have contributed, um, Jenny Martin, Mike Phelps, Mike Wong, Rusty Gordon, Doug Tatum, Henry and Tripp, uh, Rudge Davis, Julie Scott, and others, as well as all the speakers that have gone before us this year. I think they've done an outstanding job. Feedback has been great. So when I asked, uh, when I, when we were putting this thing together, one of the things that we really wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that men in this church were able, had an opportunity to connect with, with one another and encourage each other in their faith walks. And one of the reasons, um, one of the ways I thought that would be best to do that was to find men in this church who, who, who are passionate disciples, and to ask them and come up to talk to, to all of us about what's their experience been, and what does it mean to be a passionate disciple to you, and you know how you know t- tell me a little bit about your walk and your faith journey, and, and and the hope there is that in doing so that we get to know each other a little bit better, and that we will we would be encouraging one another to take the next step. Uh, so with that, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my story today. All right, if you don't mind, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so very much for you are good and your love endures forever. Thank you as well for the opportunity to testify this morning about how great you are and how grateful I am for you. Thank you as well for Roswell United Methodist Church and for the amazing ways that you have worked through its ministries and its members to transform my heart and direct my path. And thank you for each of the men that are here this morning to worship you and to journey with one another for your glory. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may provide a powerful testimony about the love and grace you've poured out into my life. May this testimony bring glory to you and may it encourage each of these men to grow closer to you and to one another. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Alright, so... Talked about it, I'm going to share a little bit about my faith story. So this morning what I did is I prepared, as you can see up here, I prepared five questions that have shaped my journey and directed me towards God. Each of these questions were presented to me at, at, at different points in my life, and I'm going to go in chronological order. And uh, they, were, they were turning points for me. They were crossroads, if you may. And each time I was asked one of these very poignant questions, the response that I had to choose 
had very lasting and meaningful impacts. As you can tell by now, I am not from here. <laughs> I grew up in Louisiana with Bob Fletcher. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, I jo- and Brother Pearson asked this morning if I would have a translator. So I, I might have to call my good friend Ed Campbell to come up here once in a while and, and help me out. Um, but that brings us to where the story begins. Um, I grew up in Haverhill, Massachusetts, which is a working class suburb of Boston. I was blessed to have wonderful parents. My dad was a teacher and assistant principal in the public school system. My mom's been his business partner uh, in a couple of small family businesses for, for many years. I have a brother, Danny, who's two years my junior, and I have, a, I have a sister, Beth, ten years younger than I. I was very fortunate to grow up in a loving, healthy, and hard-working family. Thanks be to God. And that's where my faith journey begins, and that's where we get our first question. This was a question that was asked by my parents. The question was, Tim, what kind of boy are you going to be? My answer to that was pretty instinctive and and immediate. and was, I want to be a good boy. Pretty simple stuff, uh, yet very profound. Probably an experience that most, if not all of you, can relate to in one way or another. We are created in God's image, and God is good. And while we are born of Adam... In a sinful nature, deep down inside, all of us want to be good boys. So what did that mean to be a good boy in my household and where I grew up? Well, it meant, meant three things. One, you're going to go to church on Sundays. You're going to do what's right and you're going to follow the golden rule. And you're going to excel in school and in sports. And for the most part, I was a good boy. Things worked out well. Uh, I believed in Jesus. I was an active member of the Catholic Church. We got a we got a trend going here, Alan. Um, it's a fine thing left. <laughs> went to church every Sunday, was baptized, received Holy Communion, uh, penance, confirmation, even served as an altar boy as well for a number of years. Got in very little trouble as a child and as a youth. Uh, tried always to do the right thing and treat others as I wanted to be treated, and as such, I had proud parents and lots of friends. Excelled in school. I was a president of the National Honor Society. I um, was admitted to a, an elite liberal arts college in the Northeast, Bowdoin College, um, and graduated college with a job already secured. Excelled in sports. I actually, believe it or not, I played college basketball. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh at that. Um, played college basketball. Had was uh, was on a, on some really good teams and uh, received a lot of individual honors and awards. So all did well. And because of that, Proverbs 22.6, and what would end up happening in my life, has, has real meaning to me. And, it, and, it, and it, it's true. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm eternally grateful uh, to my parents and to the Catholic Church for pointing me in the right direction and helping me along the way on that path, the path towards God. While I was a passionate disciple when I graduated college, um, while I wasn't a passionate disciple... When I graduated college, I did believe. Problem was, I didn't fear God, nor was I walking with Jesus. Not read much of the Bible, didn't really know God, didn't understand Him, didn't have a relationship with Him, wasn't serving Him. And I was given freedom to chart my own path. I find myself increasingly walking to the beat of my own drum, rather than walking with Jesus. I think some of you can relate to that as well. Do not judge. Just teasing. Um... As a result, I essentially played the part of a fool for about 10 years. 
even though most people probably would have considered me to be very successful that during that period of time, from the lens that I now view life, I see that I made many poor decisions because I was deceived, self-centered, and focused on the wrong priorities. Having way too much fun reaching for the things of this world. During this time, I committed many sins for which I am deeply, deeply regretful. Thankfully, though, God led me to my wonderful wife, Tara, and led me to this church. Tara and I met in 1996 at work. It was love at first sight. I, to this day, I can remember very clearly the first time I saw her. Funny story, in fact, I told my mother that I was going to marry her before I dated her and while she had a boyfriend. <laughs> I just knew it. God is good. She's a beautiful person. I'm so just so grateful for her. Tara and her parents invited me to Roswell United Methodist Church uh, in that fall of 96. An immediate and powerful impression was made, made on me as I experienced God in new and amazing ways through this church. First and foremost, I experienced God through Malone Dodson, for whose ministry I will be eternally grateful. Three things I always remember about Malone is one, the way he preached, I'd never heard anything like it. The second was the way that he held babies during baptisms. We'll literally see crying babies stop crying in his arms. Amazing. And the third was the way that he hugged. I remember watching the women, women would literally be wiping away a tear after they experienced him. He was shining God's light and, and I could just feel God's love coming through him. Secondly, I, I experienced a congregation that was full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I always remember that We Care campaign. I met people that I enjoyed being around and inspired me to want to take the next steps of my faith walk. I wanted to be a part of this group, and I wanted to be like the people in this group. Thank God for the light He was shining into my life through you. When we got engaged in uh, 2000, we officially joined the church so that we could get married in the chapel. It's a holy place for us. And soon after that, we also joined Foundations, a new Sunday school class which was being formed at the church early in 2000. Uh, quick sidebar here, and, and I thank, thank the guys for coming out. Uh, being part of this Sunday school class over the last 14 years has been a transformational blessing in my life. I've made very close friends and grown closer to God uh, through Foundations. Um, I'm so deeply appreciative to, to all of those in, the, in that group, um, especially Ed Campbell. Ryan Parker, Chris Mitchell. And uh, if you're not in a Sunday school class, recommend you join one. You're always welcome in Foundations. Okay? All right, back to our story. Uh, even though we had uh, joined the church and the Sunday school class early in the year, I was still playing the part of the fool. Very much still playing the part of the fool, leading up to the time of our wedding. However, I was beginning to truly recognize the error in my ways as God was drawing me closer to Him, and we were, we were more earnestly seeking Him. It was at this point, just before our wedding, when the second question that directed my faith journey was asked by my bride-to-be. That question was, what kind of man are you going to be? Some might call this a two-for-one special. I had a come-to-tower moment, a come-to-Jesus moment, all in one. <laughs> my answer was, I want to be born again. I truly accepted Jesus for the first time and asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I ask God to forgive me for my sins in Jesus' name, and I invite the Holy Spirit in my heart to transform it and direct my life from that point onward. I'd experienced a crisis of faith, and I'd been convicted of my sins all in one time. 
In turn, I had surrendered my heart and my life to Jesus. And I never looked back since. Best choice I ever made. It was emotional and immediate. And I'm grateful. At that point in my faith journey, I did not know what it meant to be born again. I did not know. It's like the the uh, man in the book of John that's blind and now he can see. And you don't really know what happened. You know, uh, I can relate to that. And in John 3, 1, 1 through 21, the following is revealed to us. I'm going to read some scripture. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you that are, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and he will not come into and, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's a word of God, word of the Lord. Tara and I uh, dove in all at church, all in at church at this point. Uh, in addition to our active membership at foundations and uh, and um, at REMC, we began to take Bible studies, participate in service activities, field day, great day of service, in the step committees, and we began to center our lives around uh, our Christian friends. It was a time of great spiritual growth to us, and uh, we're very grateful to people at REMC that encouraged us in our walks during those early years of our marriage. Uh, those people included Ed and Kirsten Campbell, Ryan Parker, Chris and Angela Mitchell, Scott and Catherine Mulkey, Kevin and Jenny Collins, Rick and Pam Page, Rusty Gordon, Bob Fletcher, Sally Dowling, Scott and Cheryl Dunbar, Todd Chancey, Lynn Adcock, Chris Barberry, Frank and Leslie Burnett, Brett DeHart, and many others. And I apologize in advance for any anyone I omitted from the list. But the one of the reasons I mention those names is I don't think that we sometimes understand that the, that how God is at work through this church and the how He's at work through you. He is impacting lives each and every day um, through you and through this church, and and uh, it's in very you know uh, very ordinary ways. But as noted earlier, we uh, we began engaging in Bible studies through, call, uh, through the church, which eventually led us to Disciple One. 
Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, it's a 36-week Bible study. Uh, you read from front to the beginning, beginning to the end of the Bible, and it's about, meet for about two and a half hours a week. I'd never read the Bible before, and this rigorous class uh, strengthened my commitment uh, to following Jesus and gave me a greater understanding of God and man's relationship with him. If you have not taken this class, please consider doing so. My, ca- my career was going well at the time, and um, it was arguably my top priority. I was working hard so I could provide nice things for my family, as well as do things for others that needed help. So we started giving a little to the church, and my giving wasn't substantial, and perhaps it wasn't for the right reasons. Probably more out of obligation, probably more for me than it was for God or, or anybody else. But it was a start. Uh, after several years of this, I found myself beginning to experience what I would refer to as true life or abundant life. I was, I was beginning to experience God in my life. My love for Him and my love for others was growing. And there was more joy in my life than ever before, and things were, were going well at work and at home and at church. Thanks be to God. Things were good, but I felt myself being drawn even to a closer relationship with God, because even though they were good, I knew they could be better. Can you relate to that? This leads us to our next question. I don't remember where I heard this question. It was from a preacher and author, and I apologize for not remembering. But the next question was, what will get your best today? Let me ask you that same question. What's going to get your best today? It's going to be your work? It's going to be your wife? It's going to be your kids? It's going to be that TV? It's going to be the internet? It's going to be your addiction? It's going to be your hobby? Or is it going to be your God? I pledged at that time that God was going to get my very best each and every day. The question hit me hard. It hit me hard. I could not let it go. Um, I continue to think about it and, re- and to recognize that God was not getting my best. God was getting a share. He was getting a share. Like he, wasn't get, he wasn't getting the first and he wasn't getting the best. Most days he was getting the leftovers and some days he was getting nothing at all. Relate to that? I'm still guilty of it. But I'm trying. Even though I'd been born again and been, been become very involved in church life, God was still not first in my life. and was largely compartmentalized. I was still very much serving many masters and the Lord usually got seconds. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. In order to demonstrate my trust in the Lord, I began giving the Lord my first and my best in three areas. First one was my money. Second one was my time. And the third one was my energy. Let me give a little detail on that. The Holy Spirit changed my view of money from a worldly perspective to an eternal perspective through two experiences during this period of my life. The first was when I was asked to participate on the Innistep team, which to me is still a miracle. I was given so little to the church, I have no idea how I was asked to be in a leadership position. Um, but that, doesn't God work in strange ways? He don't work in strange ways. Um, funny is, and, and it's a perfect example, is how when we when we step up and give, we receive. So much. And, and God God blessed me and revealed a lot to me through that experience. Second experience was that I took Crown Financial Ministries with some of you. And uh which is a twelve week study about stewardship. If you haven't taken that one, I recommend that as well. Uh that cli- that cl- through that class we were enlightened about God's ownership of all things and the expectation expectation of us to be good and faithful stewards of all that He's entrusted to us. Through my service on the Inner Steps Committee and my participation in Crown Financial Ministries, I learned about God's direction to return our first fruits to Him. Through our study of the Scriptures, we got we grew to know what we were supposed to do. Through our faithful obedience, we came to understand them more deeply 
and our relationship with God grew stronger. The main purpose of my discussion today here is not to be an extension of the Inner Steps campaign or uh, restoring God's temple celebration. However, it would be negligent of me not to talk about how God can use your obedience in His uh, your obedience to His commands in this area to transform your heart as He did mine. As referred to me to in Malachi, this is a test. It is one worth passing. As the blessings are real. If you've not done so already, I suggest you try start, starting starting this week. While it's hard to turn uh, our, turn money over to God, for many of us, turning our time over is even even more difficult. As I look to give God my best, I came to understand that the first part of my day should be invested in my relationship with God. There are four habits I've developed and practiced now for over 10 years, almost 15 years at this point. First one is, one, I spend my time in prayer. And I know many of you are much greater prayer warriors than I. Um, but I do start with the Lord's Prayer, and I, I try to give thanks. I offer uh, I offer praise. I ask for forgiveness. I submit some petitions to the Lord. Uh, still much room for improvement here, but but I'm doing better. I'm doing better. Second one, and this is uh, this one has been so important to me. If you're in foundations, you've heard it a thousand times. Uh, but I read a proverb and a psalm every single day. I rotate each day regarding the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. This morning I read Proverbs 10. And Psalm 100. Okay, uh, I believe that Billy Graham was the one who, who described Proverbs as providing us understanding of how to relate to other men, and Psalms as providing us understanding as how to relate to God. I just cherish that time every single day. I also decided uh, we we have the Atlanta commute we're all going to enter in here shortly, right? So I decided to make the most of that time, and that's my third habit. I started listening to sermons on my way to work. Got about a 30 minute commute. And I, I enjoy listening to Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, and Bill Hopples. Download them on my, on my podcast and, and, uh, and, uh, love to listen to those each and every day. And then lastly, I have a devotional that I usually read. That's been, now that source of that has varied for many years. Right now I read a devotional that's, uh, produced out of some of my friends, by some of my friends in Milton. Uh, the name of it's called Blueprint for Life. We've actually offered that Bible study here. And it's a free devotional if you haven't done it. Look it up on Google. I suggest you take a look at it. Through all of that, I believe God continues to bless me with greater wisdom and understanding so that he can produce more fruit for his glory. Through my experiences of giving my first and my best, I learned to trust in God and that he would bless and multiply my gifts and redeem whatever I turned over to him. I learned that while I had to give the best of my money, my time, and my energy, that wasn't what he was after. It was my heart, my relationship with him that mattered most. Increasingly, I felt as if God was with me. He became more integrated in all aspects of my life. When I put him first, he, he, he came into everything. Um, whatever I read or listened to, that particular one seemed to have some type of relevance later in the day. My relationships with from church, school, small groups, service activities seemed to cross regularly over into work life, right, Kevin? And um, in a meaningful way. In summary, my relationship with God was growing in leaps and bounds. Thanks be to God. Increasingly, I was offered opportunities to lead. Because of my servant, uh, my zeal for God, I was ready and willing to serve Him. As a result, I became more involved in the church and a number of roles. And while I gave a lot and learned a lot and made many new friends, over time, I found some of those roles to be draining and producing very little fruit in my life, in the church, and in the lives of others. After some time, the misalignment between my spiritual gifts, talents, resources, passions, and experience, and the service work I was doing, at church eventually caught up to me. I was burned out. I'm sure some of you can relate to that as well. 
burned out trying to do the right thing, trying to do good things. Not always what God was calling me to do, though. And so I set up two meetings to provide my constructive recommendations about some things that I felt were very strongly needed to be done differently around here. I'm glad I'm getting some chuckles. You've been there, too, haven't you, brothers? My first meeting was Mike Long and Nancy Lane. I wish he was here. He's at the masses today because uh, he would be he'd be chuckling and shaking his head. Uh, I came prepared to that meeting uh, with some detailed documents <laughs> around uh, around my observations about some dysfunctional shortcomings here at RUMC. And I provided solutions and my willingness to implement those uh, those proposals. <laughs> Mike and Nancy were uh, gracious with their time and their response. And some ideas have been implemented. My second meeting was with Rusty Gordon, who I'd known through foundations, but I didn't have a close, very close one-to-one relationship with him at that time. This was the first of several meetings that we've had over the years that had just an unbelievable impact in me, with me. But the reason why I met with Rusty is he was the lay leader at the time. And my, and my strategy was, I'm going to produce these documents, I'm going to present them to Mike, I'm going to present them to Rusty, and then if they don't do anything with them, I've done mine. You know, God's given me a pass to move on. <laughs> and so, uh, Rusty and I had a coffee last week and we were talking about this. Um, so anyway, so I meet Rusty for a cup of coffee over at Land of a Thousand Hills. And, uh, after hearing me for, out oh, for a good hour or so, right? Just shaking head on you. Real interested, right? Um, <laughs> Rusty takes, so we had these materials on. Rusty takes the materials, pulls them together, taps them down, lays them to the side, looks me dead in the eye, leans across the table and says, son, this is some good work you've done here. Some really good work. Fantastic ideas. Matter of fact, I think I've done some of these, I've done some of the same work myself. That said, let me cut to the chase. Son, you need to stop worrying about doing church, and you need to stop worrying about making disciples. And he said in a very positive way. He was not being negative. My, 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 and, and also I hope you understand, and, and Johnny, I do offer ideas, but I try to be, always be positive and constructive. But think about that one for a while. Son, you need to stop worrying about doing church and start worrying about making disciples. After uh, after he paused, sat back, grinned at me, knowing he just rocked my world, I sat there dumbfounded and speechless for about six months. I didn't know. I didn't. You know, I couldn't. I just. I couldn't make sense of that. Right. I didn't know what it meant to me. And uh, I, I would ask you to think about that for a second. It's a vision of this church, making passionate disciples for Jesus Christ. How are you going to do that today? What are you doing this week? How's the Holy Spirit working through you to make passionate disciples for Jesus Christ? He's doing it. He's doing it. You might be a faithful and committed church member. You might believe in Jesus. You might be walking with Jesus, even following him. But are you actively making passionate disciples for Jesus? It's not a calling. It's not a calling. It's a command. And one way to follow. Matthew 8, uh, 28, 16 to 20. It reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make passionate disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. I chewed on this one hard, and I prayed and I prayed before an opportunity was presented, which I felt called to pursue. Talk about foundations. You've heard about that a lot, right? Um, well, I had the opportunity to become a program coordinator for foundations in uh, Sunday school class in 2009. 
at that time our class was floundering and very close and very and uh in fact very close to dismantling. Ed and I had even talked about maybe it was time to move on. There were some weeks that we'd have less than five people there. We'd gone through a period of rapid growth and then gradual decline. There were a lot of contributing factors, but I had a clear vision. I felt like God gave me a clear vision for how some things could be done differently. And because foundations meant so much to me and my family, and because I knew I had some more time available to do those things I had just relinquished, I decided to take on the program role for, program coordinator role for foundations. If we were going to survive as a class, the first place that we needed to start was to improve the quality of the programming offered each week. At work, I'm often recognized for my ability to put together strategic plans, comprehensive, detailed strategic plans, and to provide good training, uh, provide a teacher. thought this was a, was a natural place that, that I could uh, apply those skills. So, after, so I got after it in a big way along with some other committed leaders in our class, Ellie Griffiths, Jed Denton, Kirsten Campbell, Krista Scardina, and some others. And Gavin's jumped in and helped as well. Among other initiatives that we put together, we drafted a comprehensive curriculum with the help of Julie Wright um, that had a uh, challenge of materials to be covered in our class over the next two years with yours truly as the teacher the majority of the weeks. God blessed our faithfulness, and four years later, our foundations is thriving and growing. We recently expanded from one room to two, and just a few weeks ago, we were sold out. We had no more chairs left, and we had to get some. Um, God's growing us in numbers, but I'll tell you what, he's growing us in spirit. He's growing us in spirit, individually and collectively. Members of this class, and we're going to have some of them speak to you next year, are stepping out, stepping up, they're speaking out, they're serving the king, they're staying humble, and they're standing strong inside our, in our families, our church, and our communities. Thanks be to God for all he's done in and through our class. Um, through, this, through, this cl- through this class, I believe the Holy Spirit was making passionate disciples, and it was producing fruit. This kept me energized and focused on, on fulfilling my duties and foundation, but it also opened me up to other opportunities where I should serve. Um, since 2011, I've also been leading the men's group at King's Ridge Christian School. We meet there twice, twice a month on Fridays. We've been studying the book of John this year. Much fruit has been produced as well. In the beginning of this year, in the fall of this year, in September of 2013, my good friend Josh Wimberly and I uh, began leading a Bible study for my second grade son and his friends. It is amazing. It is amazing. Um, there has been so much fruit, so much light amongst this group. Boy, these the, the, the faith of these boys, it would inspire you and amaze you. And it, what they grasp and how they understand God, Powerful. And I know many of you have been involved in the youth group over the years and, and done things like that, and you can relate. But I'm not going to spend any more time going through my spiritual service resume, if you will. Um, uh, but the point here is to use my spirit experience as a case study to outline uh, the ways that God wants to work through all of us to make passionate disciples for Jesus Christ. Lessons that we can glean from this study include, one, make a passionate disciples for Jesus as a command for all to follow. Two, leveraging our God-given passions, spiritual gifts, talents, resources, and connections um, can encourage others and glorify God. <laughs> Three, where there's a sense of burnout, evaluation is needed. You might need to move on or do some things very differently. And four, where there is fruit, double down, make more investment. Our service is always uh, symbolic, sacrificial, and significant and pleasing to God. However, let's make sure that we're, we're maximizing our, our investments in our time. You know, investing in passionate disciples has blessed me in innumerable ways, but but no, but nothing more 
the, the experience and the way that my friendships have grown in number as well as depth and richness. Now looking at many of them. Been amazing. Been amazing. There's real blessings if you follow each one of these steps. And that brings us to uh, the final question, which is directing me on my faith journey. And contrary to the last question, which was from Rusty, was very direct, one person, and um, and uh, this this one came from a variety of sources. It's been kind of on my heart for the last year, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But this is what this is what this is God's stirring this up in me right now, and I just figured I wanted to share it with you. And the fifth question is, what fights must you win? What fights are there in your life right now? You must win. What spiritual battles are going on that you must win? Brothers, we live in a spiritual battlefield. Battles are being fought each and every day. There are battles raging in your heart, our families, our church. We're on the constant attack. It's a harsh reality. But too often these days, God's men, including me, ignore, procrastinate, or surrender. We can do better. We must do better. I feel very strongly about this. Ephesians 6, 10-18 commands us, to fight the battle and tell us how the battle is to be won. Please listen closely to the following scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor, full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything uh, to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled under your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, wor- uh, the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. John Pearson testified to this as well. The devil's on the attack and we must be stand strong and be courageous. We have protection in Jesus and power in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Following areas in my life where I feel like fights are being, fights are being um, fought that I must win. The first one is sin. I'm a good man. I'm trying to do good things. But I'm a man and so are you. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. Getting back to Rusty, um, during a talk that we had about a year ago, he had said to me, he said, Tim, what sin in your life is impeding the Holy Spirit's work in and through you? What sin in your life is impeding the Holy Spirit's work in and through you? Shortly after there, Ed and uh, Ryan, Chris and I went, we heard Craig Rochelle speak at North Point Community Church. I think some others were there, but... um, and, uh, and Craig illustrated through the example of Samson that through sin in our lives, um, that sin in our lives, we, we go away from God. We're sapped of our strength and our relationships are undermined. And often they're very little steps that we think no one can see and have no effect. They are sapping you of your strength and they are sapping, they are undermining your relationships. It's This is serious business. I prayed hard about that prayed hard, and uh, and I'm, we're not going to go to confession right now, although, Alan, maybe I'll get with you later. <laughs> um, but uh, but we need to pray about this, and we need to eradicate it through confession and repentance. Can anybody relate to that? 
All right, second one is I feel like we need to protect our family from cultural warfare. We are the spiritual leaders of the family, and as such, we're, ser- we're, we're also called to serve as the commander-in-chief. This requires po- proper application of wisdom, authority, and force. Satan is attacking our children through an increasingly immoral and secular culture. We must defend them as well, <laughs> defend them as well as allow the Holy Spirit to work through them, through us, so that they can learn how to defend themselves. This requires intentionality, it requires discipline, it's not easy, requiring endurance, is often inconvenient, and will require conflict. The stakes are high, and we must personally engage in the battle. <coughs> From my perspective, increasingly it seems that dads are surrendering leadership authority, and accountability to moms, churches, and schools. It starts here, boys, and it ends here. We're ultimately accountable. We must take back the lead. Third place is building up our church. It's imperative that we build up our church for God's glory. This requires that we must sacrifice and serve to make the church stronger and to stand up to those things that are sapping the church's strength. This requires faithfulness, humility, generosity, and diligence. What passions, spiritual gifts, experiences, resources, or skills do you have that could be used to make the church stronger or defend it against attack? Don't wait to be invited to join the battle. Look for an open spot on the line and jump in. Help is needed. Sir, the last one is serving the least, the last, and the lonely. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. People are hurting all around us. First and foremost, they need our prayers. Who are you praying for? They also need our love, which can manifest in so many ways. I'm not doing enough in this area, I will admit. I'm not, but that is going to change. It has already started to change. I need to do more. I must not be distracted by busyness, haughtiness, or greed. I must reach out to the hurting world in Jesus' name. He will love others, and others will love, uh, and others, uh, through us, if we allow him to work through us. I'm feeling called to step up here and do more. Are you? Alright, your fights might be similar, they might be different, but we all have them. And one of the main reasons I felt called to start this men's group was so that we could fight them together. We need not go it alone, life is too hard and difficult. My prayer has been and continues to be that through, uh, that through this group, men will grow in their relationship with God, encourage one another in their faiths, and unite as members of God's army to win the fights that must be won in our hearts, our families, and our church. The Holy Spirit has blessed this ministry. We are winning on all fronts. Thanks be to God. I want to thank you again for being part of REMC's men's group and for walking with me. Again, I pray that our relationship, my relationship with each one of you, grew stronger today. And that your relationship with God may grow closer because of something that you heard this morning. May God continue to bless and multiply the seed sown here today. And may all glory and honor be his forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you.